Hello, and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Tuesday, December 27th, 2022. I'm Mike Cacciopoli. Okay, here we are, big Tuesday night show. It's Tuesday night as we as we fast forward towards the end of 2022. Only a handful of days left in 2022. I can't believe, I truly can't believe how fast this year has gone. I mean, to me, this year has like sped by in like a, a blink of an eye. It seemed like it was, it, it seemed like we just started this new year. This has been a very, very fast year. A very fast year. Um, and everyone is talking about their resolutions for 2023. If you want to call in and tell me your resolution, do you believe in re- resolutions? Do we believe in New Year's resolutions? Does anyone ever keep them? Have you ever made, you have to be honest, have you ever made a New Year's resolution and then actually kept it for the full year? And of course, beyond. I don't think the idea is just to keep it for one year. I think most of these resolutions within the first, <laughs> Mike, Mike's not going to call in. He's just saying no. <laughs> the, most of these resolutions don't last more than 30, 30 days or so. I joked yesterday about the, you know, the I'm going to work out resolution. I'm working out next year. I'm working out. And they buy gym gym memberships, by the way, a huge Christmas, the first, second week in January. They're huge gym memberships. And uh, gyms make a lot of money uh, in the first month of the new year. And then people either never use them or they peter out after, you know, a month, month and a half, and they never use it again. And these gyms lock you in. That's why they like to lock you in for like 12 months at least, because they know, they know you're not going to use it, not going to fill up the gym anyway, and they're going to get their money. So has there been a New Year's resolution that you have kept, that you have made and then kept forever? I'll ask that as more people start listening. We'll ask the question again. We have to have total honesty here. The answer for me is the same as Mike. No, I have never, I really make them. So you can't keep promises you don't make. Um, and I guess, Eric, I, look, I'm not I'm not calling myself a perfect person. I am a near perfect person, but I've never smoked. I've never done drugs. I rarely drink. So what what is there to give up? Those are like the main things, right? I, I've worked out regularly for the last 25 years. So what is what is there to give up? Right? I don't know. If I, hey, if I gave up anything else, I'd be even more boring than I am now, right? You have to have some kind of vice. You have to have some kind of vice. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you can tell me what my New Year's resolution has been. Maybe you've been listening to this podcast for the last however many months, six months, a year, 14 months now. And you know, you say, I, I know, Mike, I can tell. There's something you can, there's a resolution you can make. I know, I know, I can tell. This is a flaw you have, something you can better. If that's you, let me know. Hey, I can take it. I can take honesty. Boy, speaking of honesty, they're really going after the Santos guy, huh? They're really going after him. Would they go after him if he was a Democrat? Would the media be going after him if he was a Democrat? I'm going to have a long pause there, because that's exactly what we'd hear. If this guy was a Democrat, that's exactly what we'd hear. Crickets, nothing. But he's a Republican. You know, they want to whittle that down. He's out of New York, right? So what happens if he resigns? Does that mean Kathy Hochul gets to appoint a Democrat? And that takes the the number down one. It's already tight. It's already 222, right? That would make him 221. 
So they would love to, the Democrats would love to whittle down that Republican majority in the House. You know, the closer you get to 218, the more precarious things get. The more precarious things get, and things could happen over the course of two years, right? So they want to get that number as close to 218 as possible. Once again, I, I think it's really simple. If I were Santos, I don't know if he said this yet, I would simply say, if Biden quits, I'll quit along with him. We can quit together. Let's, we'll go to Hawaii together. That's what I would say. I'd say as soon as the guy who's been lying for 50 years, the guy who lied as a senator, the guy who lied in, in a much more high-profile, important positions than this guy, who hasn't even spent a day in Congress yet, this guy only lied running for Congress. Biden has lied as a congressman, as a senator, as a vice president, running for president, as president. So I'd say if, if, if he resigns, and don't give me any bullshit like it's not the same. He didn't. It's exactly the same. In fact, it's much worse with Biden. But Biden did the exact same things. He's been embellishing his resume. He's been embellishing things that never happened. He said he marched with King. That never happened. He said all these things. He was a professor in, in a college in Pennsylvania. It never happened. So Biden's not only embellishing running for office, he's been embellishing as a president. As the president, he's embellished. So I'm sorry, this is, I'm not talking, I don't, I don't want double standards and hypocrisy anymore. He simply says, if Biden were to resign, I will resign along with him. But short of that, short of the president stepping down, I'm not stepping down either. I'll see you on the third. I'll see you next Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever. So that's what I'd say, and I'd leave it at that. I don't know if he has said that yet, if he's smart enough to say that. But that's what I'd say. That's the deal, McNeil. That's the deal. He goes, I go. He stays, I stay. Too fucking bad. And that's all there is to, to say. Yeah, I'm wrong for, I'd say, yes, I'm wrong for embellishing. I think he has said that. But Biden never even said that. Biden never even said he lied about anything. Biden has never even said he lied. Biden's never even said he was wrong for saying his son died in Iraq. Biden's never said he was wrong for doing that, what he, that lie, the, the, the ripping off of speeches saying it was his own. Never did any of that. Never did. Was it Kennedy's speech? He never did any of that. He never lied for saying he did march with King and he didn't. He never said I, I lied about that. I was wrong about this guy is already in five seconds. This guy admitted he lied about all this stuff. Biden in 50 years has never admitted once. They lied about anything. The only admit the only thing he admitted to. He didn't even admit when he stepped down, when he was running for president and they found he was doing the embellishing the uh, what do you call it? The. Um, I can't think of the word right now. You do when you're in college and you and you, just, and you uh, cheat on you take someone else's words. Uh, for some reason, it's not coming to me right now. But that's what he did. I think it was Kennedy's speech or someone's speech, and he pretended it was his own, and he never gave credit to the person. And he had to. They caught him on that, and he had to. He wasn't going to win anyway. He was. He wasn't going to win anyway. He was getting like two percent of the vote, but he had to step down. Um, but he never admitted. Like I don't believe he ever admitted that he did anything wrong. It's like he just got caught and had to and had to quit. So this guy's never admitted to anything. I'm sorry. You admit to it, and you step down, and I'll step down. That's all. Uh, let's see. Hold on. I'm reading someone. Um, I just got some weird text. I don't know who that came from. Anyway. Uh, oh, Daniel. Daniel just sent me something. What would you send me, Daniel? You sent me something on CNN. Biden keeps repeating a false story. Oh, yeah. This was written... In June of last year, June 30th of 2021. Plagiarize. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Mike Jones. I appreciate it. Plagiarize. Right. He plagiarized the speech. 
And this is something that Daniel just sent me from the summer of last year. Biden keeps repeating a false story about an Amtrak conductor. Yeah, that was another weird thing. Whether See, Biden's such a psychopath when it comes to lying, a serial liar. And he lies about big things like marching with King when he didn't and a speech that he gave that wasn't his own. But then he lies about these weird, weird, small things, weird, small things. This was last year. And he, by the way, he's repeated this lie since Joe Biden repeated a vivid story he's been telling since at least the 2020 presidential campaign. Biden's story serves to illustrate both his connection with average workers and his fondness for Amtrak, the real service he famously used for years. The story details a conversation he claims to have had with a particular Amtrak conductor as he was boarding a train as vice president. But the story could not possibly be true, as some conservative media outlets pointed out after Biden told one version. Biden was friends with the Amtrak conductor at the center of the story, Angelo Negri. But Negri had been dead <laughs> for more than a year and had been retired for more than two decades before the earliest moment they could conceivably have had the supposed conversation Biden keeps describing. Biden brought back the story about Negri during a Wisconsin speech he delivered on Tuesday to promote an infrastructure. This was the infrastructure proposal from a bipartisan group of senators. After pronouncing himself Mr. Amtrak, Biden said that toward the end of my term as vice president, a headline came out in all of the papers about how many miles he had flown on Air Force planes. And he was getting on an Amtrak train that Friday. Biden continued. Negri grabbed him affectionately by the cheek and said, oh, this right. That's this Joey baby. He has said this many times since Biden. I think he just said it a few months ago. Biden said he had been concerned Negri would be shot by the Secret Service, so he had assured agents that Negri was a friend. Then he said Negri scuffed that Biden's number of miles traveled on Air Force planes was no big deal because Negri and others had figured out that Biden had traveled a greater number of miles on Amtrak trains over his career in Washington. Biden quoted Negri as saying, in that retirement dinner, we calculated it, he said. Joey, you traveled more on Amtrak. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. So this is right. This is where he was claiming that this make believe guy or guy that couldn't have existed at the same time he did as far as his travels on Amtrak go said to him that, no, you've traveled more miles on Amtrak than in flying. So, you know, don't feel bad. Don't don't let them pretend that you have flown a lot and, you know, you're not traveling on Amtrak. You've traveled on Amtrak like a regular guy. You're a regular guy because you've done many more miles on Amtrak than in the air. But here's a clue as to that story being bullshit. Who would call him Joey? Who would call him Joey? You think this guy who's an Amtrak conductor would be as formal as to say Joey and pinch him on the cheeks? Whether he's president or vice president? How insane is that? And that's how you know Biden's lying, because in his lies... What I've noticed about Joe Biden in his lies, he'll pretend he'll feign informal, um, re, uh, informal interactions that never would have happened, such as this one. People are always like pinching his cheek, calling him, hey, Joey, hey, Joe, buddy, hey, don't. No one's going to do it. Even the most crass person isn't going to go up to Joe Biden and pinch his cheek or call him Joey. They're going to at, at the very least. They would call him Joe. But I, I, my guess is most people, no matter who they are, especially if they worked for a company, a corporation such as Amtrak, would say Senator Biden, Vice President Biden, Mr. Biden, President Biden. 
Okay. So this shows these these little all that those these little details that don't make any sense. Because in Biden's mind, see, in Biden's mind, what he wants to do is make himself seem like a regular guy. And how do you make yourself seem like a regular guy? Well, you do that by pretending people pinch your cheek and call you things like Joey, and you don't get offended by it. See, that's all part of the way he lies to present himself as something he's not, which is Scranton Joe, Scranton Joe, Malaki. Come on, Jack. Come on, Jack. Come on, Jill. Does he talk to his wife like that? He says, come on, Jack, all the time, doesn't he? To say, come on, Jill. Come on. Oy, oy, oy. But this is all part of who Joe Biden is. He's a serial liar. He's a serial liar. He's lied about big things and small things. So I don't want the left to give me bullshit that Donald Trump lies about big things and, and Joe just makes up small, crazy things like like um, Amtrak conductors pinching his cheeks and calling him Joey and, and, and Corn Pop. He makes up big lies, too. He's lying all the time. And that's a problem when you're the president of the United States. Did you constantly lie? Yes, he's a psychopath. Well, he's a psychopath. Yeah, I mean, what do they call them? Sociopathic liars. People just, it's just like they just lie all the time. They don't, they don't even think about it. They just they reflexively lie all the time. And that's what he does. He reflexively lies all the time. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, he just sent me a National Review article, Joe Biden's Tall Tale. Uh, also written July 6th of of, uh, of last year. 2021 is still last year for a few more days, eh? This is Dan McLaughlin, uh, National Review, July 6th, 2021. And this tells more about his, his, his tendency to embellish biography. See, his tendency to embellish biography. Now, and put yourself in the same anecdote, and, and, and put yourself in some anecdote for the purpose of making political or personal connections is a bad habit. Yeah, so this is more basically about him lying, about his lies. But if you go to National Review Online, this is uh, Dan McLaughlin from July 6th, 2021, titled Joe Biden's Baseball Tall Tale. So this is more... Oh, oh, that's right. This is this is the this is another funny one. I, I should actually read this to you. Hosting the world champion Los Angeles Dodgers, when the Dodgers won the World Series and the, the COVID series of 2020, at the White House, and Biden had him there. And last year, Biden was at it again. And I, I just want you to know that there we have a congressional baseball game every year. In the very beginning, I used to be a center fielder in my Walter Mitty dream. Anyways, it's a long story, but <laughs> and my kids only remember two things that ever happened to me in my career, my boys. And they've met kings and queens. They've gone to other countries. But I played when the first, the second congressional baseball game at the old stadium, the old Washington Stadium. And I hit one off the right center field wall. It bounced off the wall. I think it's 368 or I don't know what exactly is now, but off the wall. And I'm rounding anyway. To make a long story short, my kids remember that all the rest. And guess what? The only thing I remember, too, <laughs> here I thought, what could have been? What could have been? My immediate thought on hearing this, and probably yours as well, if you know anything about Joe Biden, was there's a very little chance that this story's true. RNC researcher Zach Parkinson did the digging into old newspapers, and the answer will not surprise you. Biden's second congressional baseball game would have been in 1974. Did he really hit a 368-foot shot? No, he went 0 for 2. Now, if you want to believe that Joe Biden hit a 368-foot single center field, 
center-right in a 73 game, you can choose to believe that, but you clearly have never seen a congressional baseball game. Biden also claimed that hits came at the old stadium, except the congressional baseball game was played at Memorial Stadium in Baltimore for Biden's first four years in Congress. The game wasn't played at RFK again until 2005. The White House declined comment. <laughs> so this, this is a constant thing with Joe Biden. It's a constant thing. So if I'm George Santos, once again, I say, if this guy steps down, I'll do the same. If the leader, if the leader does the right thing and takes a stand and shows that we shouldn't embellish, you know, we shouldn't tell tall tales, whatever you want to call it, lie, then I'll do the same. But we know Joe Biden's not going to step down. He's not going to even admit any of these things that he says happened didn't happen. Joe's not going to admit to any of these things. So if Joe's not going to admit to lying about the Amtrak guy, about the baseball game, about the speech he gave that wasn't his, about everything, about being a professor in Pennsylvania over the last 10 years, which never happened, all these crazy things that he lies about, then why should someone who's going to be in Congress, if the president is not going to step down, why should someone who's simply going to be another cog in Congress, along with so many other liars that just haven't been caught yet? You see, this is the thing. This is the thing. When you try to make examples of people, when you do things like that, when you pile on people for things that everyone else is doing and the President of the United States has done for half a century, that's when you lose me. <clears throat> that's when you lose me. I think it was stupid for him to lie. I explained yesterday the psychological reasoning that may have gone into him lying. But I don't want him to step down because there's no reason why he should be made example of. While Joe Biden has lied for 50 years and can, stand, can sit there and laugh at him while he gets away with lying for 50 years and he's president of the United States and all the other people in Congress around him who did the same thing or worse will just chuckle knowing they got away with it. Fuck that. No. No. Nope. You're not making an example of a freshman congressman from New York just because you want to just because you want to get those numbers down. You want to get that slim majority even slimmer. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. No, there needs to be real punishment. And the real punishment this country probably deserves is for Joe Biden to step down. And, of course, the president would be, for the next two years, Kamala Harris. But the country deserves it for electing Joe Biden. The country deserves that for electing, you know, a guy who's almost 80, who lies all the time, who has dementia now. So they deserve maybe President Kamala. Let, let this country deal with President Kamala for a couple of years. And then they'll be like, they'll be on their knees. They'll be on their knees begging Ron DeSantis to run for office. They'll be on their knees begging Ron, everyone except the most suck-ass Democrats who love, you know, the fact that a black woman is president, that love the race identity, the gender identity politics, except for those very small minority, loud fucking asshole people Everyone else will be on their knees begging, begging Ron DeSantis to run for office if Kamala Harris is president of the United States. Okay, so there are a couple of other things that I wanted to talk about. The Santos thing I just figured was, was okay to lead with because there's not really much to say about that more than 
Joe, you drop, you drop out, you, you quit, I'll quit. You don't, I'm not. End of story. End of story. Uh, let's see. You know, just before going on the air, I was reading a story about, um, I don't know how many people watch CNN every year at, at New Year's, the New Year's Eve thing that Anderson Cooper did. Did it with Kathy Griffin before they canceled her and they brought in Andy Cohen. Um, but they, they, you know, they kind of let loose. You know, it's funny in a way. Because Anderson Cooper is such like a, you know, during the year, he's such a, he, he tries to be the pseudo journalist so much, right? He tries to be a very, I'm very, you know, serious journalist. I look at you. I ask a question and look very seriously at you while you answer it. You know, that whole thing, I can stick up his ass for the whole year. That is funny to watch him let loose a little bit, even a little bit on, on, on New Year's Eve and, and, and drink on camera, you know, which is, I've always thought that's kind of stupid that people can't drink on camera, that adults can't drink on camera, but that was kind of the rule for a long time. It seems to be the rule still, except CNN let them do it on New Year's Eve. Uh, I was actually watching Fox a few days ago, and they just had they had Pete Hegseth. He wanted they were doing some cooking thing, and he had to take a sip of alcohol, and and uh, and they told him to step off camera. I mean, it's kind of stupid, isn't it? It's really stupid, but that's the way things have been for a long time. But on, on, on CNN on New Year's Eve, they they drink. And this has been a thing with Andy Cohen obviously being a lot looser than Cooper, and he makes Anderson Cooper drink and do shots. So it's kind of funny. Um, and it's not like they're really getting these adults are really getting drunk doing a few shots over the course of three hours, but it's just it's just a funny thing. And um, although last year it seems as though Andy Cohen got a little too had too many shots and was making fun of Ryan Seacrest or something, or making fun of the band that was playing, and there was something something going on, you know, there's some bad blood even though ryan seacrest didn't take it seriously because he knew they were drinking anyway and so the new guy who came in who's running cnn you know who fired humpty dumpty stelzer and wants to change everything up said well we really need to watch out but the funny thing is is he said that anderson cooper andy cohen can still drink but don lemon can't drink anymore well what they said was cooper and 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 uh, uh anderson cooper and andy cohen can drink but all the rest of the people on camera can't. And the only rest of the people are basically Don Lemon and a couple of others who do the, the show from, usually they're from do Nor they do it from New Orleans. So usually when it's finished in New York, when it's midnight in New York, then they go to Don Lemon in New Orleans. And Lemon gets totally smashed. Lemon gets totally smashed. By the time they go to him, he's already probably had about 20 drinks. Right, because they usually go to him. I think it's probably eleven o'clock p.m. New Orleans time, so it's like an hour before midnight, and he's already totally smashed. And so last year, he was so smashed, he's walking around and he was saying things like, eh, "People don't like me. I don't care. Oh God, I'm a strong black man. I'm a strong black man, and I know I'm a strong." So he was saying stuff like that, you know, to lift his ego. You know, like something insecure people would say to try to build themselves up, something secure people wouldn't have to say. It was basically, yeah, they can, they can knock me down, but I know what I am. Basically, he was saying, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a you know, celebrity, wealthy black man, so fuck him. So this is basically what he was saying, and he kept on saying it. He wouldn't drop it. And you could tell everyone around him was getting nervous. They were feeling uncomfortable. And they were trying to change the subject, and he'd keep on going back to that. Ah, they can try to tear me down. And he was smashed. And and so I'm, that's exactly why, even though that wasn't mentioned by the CNN boss, that's the that's exactly why they won't let Don Lemon. When they said no drinking other than Anderson Cooper, 
and Andy Cohen, the only person they can be talking about is Don Lemon because he's the only person who drinks on camera. And he gets told every year he gets smashed. So Don Lemon, also, but he already lost his show, right? He lost his nighttime show. And he's stuck on the mornings now, right? So they took his, they took his, his nighttime show away from him. And now they're taking his drinking away from him. It's obvious Don Lemon's days at CNN are numbered. And the only reason why they probably haven't fired him totally is because he's black. Stelter they could can. And that's it. But I'm sure they're only keeping Don because, you know, CNN is so woke that they don't want to fire a black guy. Oh, black and gay. Double, double whammy for them from the woke, woke crowd. They'll lose the, you know, think about it. CNN's ratings are shit to begin with. But the few people they have watching are all wokesters. So if they fire gay black lemon, it forget it. They'll probably lose all the, the rest of their audience. So they know they can't do that. So they take his show away and put him on mornings. And now they're taking his drinking away. You know, and uh, you know, it was kind of entertaining for a while, his drinking, until last year when he started going into this rant, this in, totally insecure rant about everyone wants to take him down. And he's a strong black man. So, I mean, that's that was, you know, obviously the reason why. But what's funny is that in the article written about this, they didn't even mention Don Lemon by name. You see, this is how the wall culture has taken over journalism. Right. They didn't even mention black. I mean, I, I'm not I wasn't writing the article and I knew they were talking about Don Lemon. Yet the journalist writing the article never said. And of course, CNN would never say it, that it was Don Lemon this is the reason why they have this new rule. Right. I mean, if you have three people on camera that drink, and you're saying two of them can still do it, it's obvious that Don Lemon is the one they're targeting when they say no one else can because he was just off the rails last year. But they made the story seem like, this is the funny thing, if you read the story, they made it seem like it was Andy Cohen that was the bad guy. But then it, it's so funny, this whole story is about Andy Cohen and making fun of Ryan Seacrest. And you're thinking, okay, well, this is why they're going to change the rule. And at the end, they say, well, we changed the rule for everybody else, but Andy Cohen and Nancy Cooper can still drink. So what was the point of the article? You see, the article should have been about Don Lemon the Lush, who couldn't keep his mouth shut and was so insecure and sounded like an asshole, is the reason why he can't drink anymore. But they, they, they beat around the bush and never even mentioned his name. And it's really, the change in the rule is really about him, not about Andy Cohen. This is once again wokeness in journalism, wokeness in, in corporate America. That God forbid you cannot sing, you cannot criticize someone who's black or gay or female. You can't do it. Why is Whoopi Goldberg still on the view? She she went back to her, her, her uh, anti-Semitic trope again that she supposedly apologized for. And she said it again. Why is she saying it again? Because she knows she's a black woman and they're not going to fire a black woman. They're not going to fire her. So she keeps pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. If she were a white man, she wouldn't do this because she'd know they'd can her, his ass. But they won't can Whoopi Goldberg because she's a black woman. One of these, one of these corporations is going to grow a pair. I mean, basically, they're letting the employees dictate the rules because they know they can get away with it because of their race or their sex or their sexual orientation or their gender identity. So at some point, these corporations have to have to grow a pair and say, you know, we're not going to take this shit anymore. And once one corporation does it, every corporation will do it. And there's nothing the Wokesers would be able to do. 
There's nothing they'll be able to do. They can cry, they can moan, they can protest, they can do whatever the fuck they want. But they really have no power when it comes to changing what these corporations decide to do. And yet, they won't do it. They won't do it. So, it'll be interesting to see if Don Lemon actually talks about this on the air on New Year's Eve. Not that I'm going to be watching. Not that I'm going to be watching. I'm going to be celebrating with friends on New Year's Eve. I'm going to be celebrating with friends. What are you going to be doing New Year's Eve? What are you going to be doing on New Year's Eve? Anything exciting? Are you going to go out and drink? Are you going to go out and get rowdy? Are you going to just stay home and watch things on TV? You can go, are you going to go see fireworks? Are there fireworks in your city? I guess New York will be back to normal, hopefully, right? With, the, with Times Square, there'll be no masking. Hopefully, there'll be no vaccine checks like there were last year with asshole de Blasio still running things. Hopefully, that's all gone and we can just have a good time. That's the most important thing. I don't want to see any regulations. I don't want to see any masking. I don't want to see any vaccine mandates. I don't want to see any of that crap. I want to see back to normal. I want to see people. Uh, I want to see masses of humanity, masses of humanity on top of each other, having a good time, screaming and yelling and drinking. It's only one night a year anyway, right? That's all it is. It's just one night a year anyway. So going back to COVID, my favorite subject, and all these things that are coming out with the COVID files and Twitter, and that there'll be more next week, by the way. Elon Musk says there'll be even a bigger dump next week of the COVID files. We'll, we'll learn more about accounts that were suspended and, and canceled and censored because of correspondence with the NIH and the CDC and Fauci and all that stuff. Um, but going back to the article that was written a couple of months ago, about uh, forgiveness, right? About just forgiving all the sins of the last three years. And we had talked about that, right? This forgiveness. But even the basic fundamentals of forgiving, people need to admit they've done something wrong, right? People need to admit they have done something wrong before you forgive them. They need to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? How do you forgive people who don't even say they're wrong? Now they don't admit they're wrong, but they keep doing the same things over and over again. I don't, I don't understand this whole idea of, it's like a child saying, please forgive me for being bad. Now I'm going to continue to be bad, not even admit I did anything wrong, mom. Who, who, who does that? They haven't admitted to any kind of wrongdoing, and they keep on doing wrong things. So we're not even at step one of, of forgiving yet. But even if we were to get there, there needs to be punishment. Before forgiveness. Now, if they don't want to admit they did anything wrong, that's fine. Many criminals don't. Many criminals claim innocence. They go to they go to a jury trial and they're com- and they're convicted and they go to jail and they can be screaming and yelling every year of their lives in jail, every day of their lives they're innocent, but they're still in jail because a jury didn't believe them. And the evidence was there enough to convict them. So this is what must happen with COVID. I'm going to read an article from Michael Sanger, S-E-N-G-E-R. I don't know if people follow him on Twitter. They should. But he just wrote an article uh, yesterday. And it's really about what I'm talking about, which is what he calls as Nuremberg II, what a real inquiry into the response to COVID would look like. 
and he writes about what really needs to happen. We've talked about this before, and I said going into the new Congress, going into 2023, a lot of what we need to talk about here is what needs to happen. Not only what the Republicans are doing, but what needs to happen, right? The accountability has to be there. The accountability, the, the, the punishment, and all of that that has to happen before we can even think about forgiving anybody. So Senger <clears throat> says, given the magnitude of the harm that's been done, the public deserves to know exactly who, who knew and did what, when and why, in the days leading up to the lockdowns of spring 2020 and beyond. Though it may not be politically feasible, ideally an inquiry into the response to COVID would take the form of an international tribunal. Below are just some of the many disturbing questions to which any leader who claims to represent the public ought to demand answers to. One, why did the CDC suddenly adopt measures to increase social distance? As official policy in 2004, contrary to all epidemiological guidance, it had developed throughout the 20th century. Two, who was behind the campaign to export the concept of lockdowns to Liberia and Sierra Leone in 2014? Three, some intelligence reports have indicated that members of the Western National Security Committee community were aware a new virus had emerged in China by fall of 2019. What was being said about the virus at the time? Four, if some national security officials had been worrying about a new virus in China since fall 2019, how could they have possibly believed China's two-month lockdown of Wuhan eliminated the virus several months later? Five, by January of 2020, tips began to emerge that the World Health Organization was planning to recreate China's lockdown across the world, starting in Italy. When and on what basis did the World Health Organization make this decision? Six, lockdowns had been ruled out by the pandemic plans of the WHO in every developed nation. Why weren't these pandemic plans followed? Seven, why were health security officials talking about curfews of indefinite duration? by February 24th, 2020. Eight, why does the WHO's February 2020 report rely on flagrant logical fallacies in its, prom in, in its prom promulgation of China's lockdown measures as global policy? Nine, why was the current director of national intelligence sitting next to China's CDC director at the event 201 simulation of a coronavirus pandemic in October 2019, just weeks before a real coronavirus pandemic emerged. 10. Former White House COVID coordinator Deborah Burks has made conflicting statements about how she got her job. The former Deputy National Security Advisor offered her job in the White House as far back as November of 2019. How was Burks chosen for this? 11. Who was behind the terror campaign of fake videos showing Wuhan residents spontaneously dying and convulsing in the streets in January and February of 2020? Oh, he links to all, all these numbers I'm reading, all these points. He links to them. He links to videos and articles and such. Twelve, why is there no record of the hero director, Li Wilang, before he appeared in Chinese state media at the end of January 2020? On what basis did Western media outlets adopt the story as true? Uh, this is also, if I, I want to get reference to that, this is from the Global Times. Chinese doc, this is from the Global Times. Chinese doctor Li Wenliang, one of the eight uh, whistleblowers who tried to warn other medics of the coronavirus outbreak but were reprimanded by local police, dies of coronavirus on Thursday in Wuhan. 
the Global Times has learned. That's that's point number. Sorry, I just lost this. That's point number twelve. It's one thing after another, isn't it? So what he's saying about that is why is there no record of Dr. Li Wang before he appeared in Chinese state media at the end? Of, on what basis did Western media outlets adopt his story? This story is true as a whistleblower who tried to, you know, alert everyone about COVID, also dying of, of COVID. High level, 13, high level national security officials have stated that COVID came from a lab in Wuhan. At the same time, high level scientific officials have stated it is molecularly impossible for COVID to have come from there. Why the disconnect? 14, why has overwhelming peer reviewed evidence that COVID was already spreading globally by fall 2019 been so widely downplayed by federal officials and major media outlets? 15, Reports have revealed that military leaders saw COVID as a unique opportunity to test propaganda techniques on the public. Who advised Western leaders to use military-grade propaganda on their own people? 16. Some officials in the UK later expressed contrition about the fear campaigns that the UK government used on its own people to convince them to support COVID mandates. How was the decision to use these fear campaigns made? 17. Who was behind the massive bot and astroturf campaigns to popularize lockdowns among western civilizations and officials in march of 2020 18. how many deaths were caused by who's initial guidance on mechanical ventilators which cited chinese journal articles advising ventilators as the first choice for those hospitalized with covid we know that killed many people 19. the initial guidance in the who advised using mechanical ventilators not necessarily for the patient's benefit but to control the spread of the virus why was who advising doctors to violate the hippocratic oath 20. why were numerous credible uh, predictions of famine human rights disasters and economic collapse as a result of lockdowns ignored at the time they were implemented 21. why was natural immunity to covid so long downplayed 22. Why were initial seroprevalent studies demonstrating COVID's ubiquity downplayed? 23. Why were beaches and other outdoor spaces closed? Remember, Newsom was big on that, right, and closing the beaches. 25. What was the source of the guidance to move patients who were still sick into nursing homes? That was uh, Andrew Cuomo's big hit. 26. Remdesivir and Midzolam were initially widely used but didn't lead to positive health outcomes. How was the decision made to use these over other treatment protocols? 27. Leading officials have made conflicting statements as to whether the goal of lockdowns was to eliminate the virus, slow the spread, or buy time for vaccines. What was the actual goal they had in mind at the time they implemented these policies? 28. Why did key public health officials make statements about using the response to COVID to advance non-health-related policy goals? 29. How was the decision made to suppress and censor scientific opinions that descended from lockdowns? And we're seeing that now with the Twitter files. Number 30, why were so many federal officials so intimately involved in the censorship, once again, more of what we're seeing on Twitter, of dissenting COVID opinions on social media? 31, why were social media executives given top secret U.S. security clearances for purposes of censoring content? And what was the vetting process, if any, for these clearances? So... Remember, we reported that the FBI, Elvis Chan, gave Twitter all these these top secret security clearances that they it's very hard for people to get. It's incredibly hard 
for people in the private sector to get these security clearances. So how were they vetted before given these security clearances? Why were they given these security clearances? 32. Why were federal officials working so closely with Twitter to censor legal speech by American citizens, while an AI expert with deep ties to the military of America's chief adversary was on Twitter's board of directors? Like this, they're talking about James Baker. 33. Let me see, are they talking about? Yes, right. Oh, actually, this is everyone needs to really read this. This is about former VP, Google VP and AI guru, Fei Fei Li, not, not James Baker. This is Fei Fei Li. Because of her unparalleled expertise in engineering, computer science, and artificial intelligence. So you should really read this. Uh, I'll go through more of the, of the points he makes. But he links to a lot of great articles and videos and evidence um, under each of these points that he, that he makes that the Congress needs to really... <clears throat> work on once they take over here. Uh, okay, where were we? 30, yes, okay. Uh, 32, yeah, 33. Why did elite Western newspapers, media networks, and public health leaders so diligently repeat the absurd line that China had eliminated COVID by shutting down one city for two months? Now, you remember they said that, right? You remember they said that this one city they shut down for two months had eliminated COVID. It was a total lie. Obviously, it's a total lie as COVID is a, the outbreak there is worse than anywhere else in the, in the world right now. Why did elite Western publications begin explicitly urging the public to adopt a response to COVID that was more like China's? Okay. And he links to an article by the Washington Post with the headline, the U.S. has absolutely no control over the coronavirus. China is on top of the tiniest risks. <laughs> Why were 35? Why were mechanical drones initially deployed by various states and countries to monitor lockdown compliance? 36. Why did mass shift from being not advised to being mandatory? 37. The New York Times confirmed that the style at the standard cycle threshold level use of PCR testing, 85 to 90 percent of COVID cases were false positives. Had this practice become standard? PCR tests, we know, were absolutely shit. And still continue to be shit. 38. Why were widely known and publicized problems of PCR testing and comorbidities ignored for purposes of counting COVID deaths? 39. Why did key public health officials so quickly shift from saying vaccines would present, prevent COVID to saying proof of vaccination should be mandatory to partake in everyday activities? Number 40. Why has there been so little public discussion of China's influence on the global response to COVID, despite the FBI director's disclosure that Chinese officials were aggressively urging support for China's handling of the COVID-19 crisis? 41. Why were governments across the Western world so differential to Neil Ferguson and Imperial College during response to COVID, despite Imperial having the closest relationship with China of any Western university? 42. Why has the editor-in-chief of The Lancet been so publicly differential to China? 43. Why did Bill Gates express her admiration for China's response to COVID? 44. How did a 40-year member of the British Communist Party with no background epidemiology become a leading advisor to the UK government on COVID? And why was she recently promoted to lead the WHO's nudge unit? 45. 
Why did economists at leading universities assume that a short, sharp lockdown would eliminate the resurgence risk when the policy had no precedent? 46. Why did politicians and public health officials demonstrate so little concern for following their own COVID rules? And then there's a thread by Elon Bachman. Uh, it's a, it's a threat about those brave politicians who didn't let lockdown slow them down. In other words, do as I say, not as I do. The hypocrites. If COVID was at number 47, if COVID was actually deadly enough to kill millions and justify an indefinite state of emergency, why has so little effort been expanded, expended to hold China accountable for its initial cover-up of the virus? Though many in positions of power would prefer we forgot, the strict lockdowns that consumed the world in 2020 are extremely well documented. Until we have real answers as to how exactly they happened and why, we won't be living in a real democracy. End. So this is a great thread. I mean, this is, this is actually a great blueprint for the Republican Congress to use, to use. I mean, over 40 examples of things they need to get to the bottom of, questions they need to ask. This is Michael Sanger today in thereaderapp.com. Is that what this is? Yes, it's thereaderapp.com. The reader, that's what he writes for. Michael Sanger, S-E-N-G-E-R. And I think, once again, that is an incredible, incredible blueprint for what has to happen Starting next week, Daniel, what's up? Hey, Daniel, you there? Hello, Daniel. Daniel, are you there? Hello, Daniel. Can you hear me? Up. Oh. Yeah, now you're there. Oh, yes. For some reason, the usual pop-up didn't pop up. Um, that, that said, I'm mute the little red button. And anyway, um, yeah, um, there's a lot of interesting questions there, and um, they just uh, caused me to reminisce, um, especially the ones about lockdown caused me to reminisce about uh, Joe Biden's statement. I believe it was um, during the debates. Um, for the last presidential election when he said that uh, he was going to, he wasn't going to shut down the economy. He was going to shut down the virus. Oh, yeah, that great line, that great one line, the one-liner yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but what did he do? He shut down the economy. <laughs> yep, and the virus continued and kept virusing as a, uh, uh, yeah. we as we knew it was going to do. Of course. Yeah. And it has one person in the media two years into the two years. Wait a minute. Two and a half years, three years after he made that initial statement, because he made it like a year before he was elected that he was going to do. That was one of his campaign things. Right. That was one of his campaign lines. Yep. And has has one person in the media said. Well, we're at the opposite now, Mr. President, the economy's in shit and the, and the virus is still around. Right. As, as one has one person in the media even brought that up. Not that I remember. No. They haven't. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Totally yeah. forgotten about. Totally forgotten yeah. about. Yes. Yeah, so, so the answer to a lot of those questions, the, the 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 many questions that you just read off there, the answer to a lot of those questions is uh, simply so so we can we can declare emergency, um, and and all the powers that those emer that emergency powers um, uh, uh, um, uh, disposes of. 
Um, and there was there was a lot. And, and I can't remember all the things that happened because of the emergency powers Two of the ones that are on my tip of my tongue right now is, is how they changed in at least, um, I think it was a dozen states changed the uh, voting laws because of COVID, mm-hmm. which may have, been, may have been responsible for tipping the um, election to Biden. Um, then there was um, the issuing of, of, of checks just to, to every, not everybody. I didn't get one. I, I don't, I, I apparently make too much money to get any stimulation, stimulus checks. And uh, so that they, they were just giving away free money right and left. Um, they were suspending uh, people, people's um, uh, evictions from, from, from uh, so, so people are just living rent free all over the country. Um, they um, uh, eliminated uh, every year. People are kicked off Medicaid rolls because they uh, the circumstances change. They get a job, whatever. Um, they put a stop to that. So no one has been kicked off Medicaid rolls for like two years. Mm-hmm. And that's going to end in April. And it'll probably take at least a year to catch up and kick everyone off that shouldn't be on there. In the meantime, people have been um, skating by getting Medicaid when they don't need it or deserve it. Um, there's been numerous reasons that they've done this and wanted to re- retain this power to just basic, basically give their constituents free shit for doing nothing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and in the process, acquiring tons of shitloads of power, um, we still have a state of emergency in, in California declared. What's what's yeah. the fucking emergency? Yeah. When was there ever an emergency? We we have we have a virus. And, and, and if the um, if if our uh, um, death death rate due to COVID tracks with uh, what Denmark's um, overestimates were, um, we didn't have a million uh, people and, and die from the virus in this country. It'd probably been more like three hundred thousand, if the if it scales with the um, with the in, uh, insurance related uh, reduction estimates in in the nationally declared. Uh, COVID deaths in Denmark. Okay, so if we have the same scaling factor, we're going to find out we had over the last three years approximately 100,000 deaths per year um, due to COVID. Now, what's a um, typical influenza year look like? It can be anywhere from 20,000 to, to 90,000 or so is a typical year. So this would would look like a bad flu year if, if we weren't um, following, following this um, pandemic, so-called pandemic, with uh, PCR testing. Now, that was one another question that uh, there's a few PCR related questions on that long list that you read off there. Yeah, this was this was a PCR pandemic and um, and it was many things to many people. Um, it was it was certainly a, a lot of neurotic people that mm-hmm. uh, came out of the woodwork and exposed them for their, you know, exposed their neuroses. There were a lot of people that just plain biologically illiterate bought into this. There's plenty of people um, that were making political hay of it and, and garnering lots of power by declaring emergencies, et cetera, et cetera. There was lots of people that were elevated in their importance in public health and that were basically, you know, kind of forgotten people in the government for forever. Um, but also they're, they're important. There was lots of people that were making business hay out of, uh, out of, the, uh, out of the pandemic and the hysteria and making lots of money off that. Uh, Amazon is a big one, for example. Um, uh, businesses, small businesses shut down all over the place and Amazon just swallowed up that market share. Uh, and, and this is, you know, oh, so many people and, and such, an, such an upward shift of wealth 
but approximately approximately three trillion dollars of, of of wealth being shipward shifted upward. Uh, this is to to call this the biggest crime ever committed is just such a gross understatement. And and to say this is bigger than than uh, uh, bigger than the Holocaust is really an understatement too. The deaths are going to keep piling up. The economic destruction is going to keep piling up, and we aren't going to be through this and the, this devastation for a generation. But the thing so, is, the deaths of the Holocaust, the, the deaths of the Holocaust are counted, and yeah. these deaths, of course, the deaths of the COVID deaths were 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 that were were uh, I wouldn't use the word faked. They were bloated. Well, they, they were bloated. The they were bloated. The Holocaust. Many of the deaths there. There was if you've read if you ever read the stories about uh, or the stories the. Um, about the methods that they use to um, to count Holocaust related deaths, it's all it's all pretty shady stuff. Um, so you know, the point I wanted to make basically is that the deaths that are happening now are not going to be counted. The deaths that oh. are not quote unquote COVID related, deaths that might be related from the economic disaster, from the lockdowns, from the vaccines, all that stuff is not being counted and may never be counted. Daniel, that's the problem. What? There'll be no there'll be no getting around the excess deaths that will be declared, and there'll be no getting around the fact that those excess deaths aren't going to be due to COVID, and so those excess deaths will be due to COVID policy. Yeah, no, they they will be. Yeah, yeah they will. So, be. so they're not going to be able to hide. Event, but event, but what I'm saying is, who. <laughs> We already are seeing excess deaths in other countries too, but no one's talking of when will the the problem is the legacy media will never talk about those excess deaths. Yes, they might be there. If you and I go and search the numbers, just the way you and I and other people in our in our in our in our uh, you know in our, in our group or basically on our side on the side of common sense and reality have actually had to go look for these numbers over the last three years. Look for the real numbers. They were not given to us by the legacy media. So these numbers of excess debts will not be an issue until the legacy media starts talking about them, which they never will. The legacy media is dead. The legacy media isn't going to talk about it. The, the fourth estate is dead. The fifth estate is rising. Um, I think the legacy media understands this. I, I, I think I, I, I tweeted a, an interesting on, on, this, on this note tweeted a uh, interesting um, tweet from um, uh, Eric Weinstein. He's uh, the other Weinstein's brother that um, got kicked out of, um, what, I'm trying to remember the name of the, of the university. I'm blanking it. Anyway. Let's well, talk about Harvey Weinstein, right? No relation no, to Harvey. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. He, he's an evolutionary biologist um, that, that took a stand against um, some of the woke nonsense that was going on at his Yeah, I, in fact, I, you just sent it to me. I was just about to read it. You're talking about the Sam Bankman Freed article? Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, right. yeah. So, so Weinstein, so, 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 you know, the New York Times reads this, you know, publishes this puff piece about Sam Bankman Freed and mm. talking about uh, how the people in the Bahamas, the Bahamas residents are going to miss him. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah. and, it, it's. It, it, I mean, so so he writes this. Uh, this tweet says, "I missed this yesterday." So is the whole journalism thing just over? Is that a wrap? Uh, what's the function of this? He's referring to your article there. Um, it, it says this is from a former newspaper. It, it clearly prefers SBF uh, to Joe Rogan and uh, Jordan Peterson. Uh, that wasn't hyperbole. It literally has that preference. Literally, 
yeah, the, the, the New York Times is literally defending this trillion dollar thief, <laughs> this crypto thief, um, because uh, because uh, people in the Bahamas kind of like having around. <laughs> yeah, according to the New York Times, Sam Bankman Freed is a much nicer, more likable, genuine, moral, ethical person than Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, this is just this is just one one of the more um, mundane examples of how journalism is dead in this country and how it's become nothing more than uh, mercenary journalism. Right. The article that should have been written by the New York Times is the article I just read by Mike Singer. That's what yeah. they should be writing about. That's what yeah. the New York Times in back in the day when they had real journalists who weren't just political activists up the ass of the DNC, they would write about things like that. They would write about those 40 plus points that Mike Sanger makes on his blog that he that he that he writes. They'd be writing about that, not writing about how Sam Bankman Freed is 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 liked in the Bahamas because they want crypto there. I mean, it, yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this is this has been a long time coming. Um, I mean, this this um, this started over. This started decades ago. The ter- deterioration of journalism. But um, man, if if we if we can say that, um, I think we could probably say that ninety percent of the deterioration of journalism happened over the last three years, and the ten percent was slow coming over the last thirty. But they certainly accelerated it over these last three years, didn't they? I mean. <laughs> The promotion of, of mass hysteria worldwide was the number one job of journalists in this country for the last three years. Just get I me. Mean, how are we going to absorb that as a society? That 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 fact. How are we going to absorb that it, it, with with without? I mean, how can that not destroy the mainstream media, the fourth estate, forever? That's what they did the last three years. They promoted hysteria worldwide to take down economies to cause loss of 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 life it was especially with with, with especially with with children which is the most damaging thing um, because of that takedown of the economy um, and 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 the live years lost that, that, that as a result of this policy is going to it's, it's literally going to eclipse the live years lost due to the holocaust it will and this has been the primary function of journalism for the last few years is to promote fan hysteria. How are they ever going to live that down? I mean, living down the, the whoops, we fucked up. There's no WMDs in Iraq and whoops, we fucked up. Yeah, we missed the whole housing bubble thing. Um, you know, that, that's that's one thing. But to, to do this to the entire world. Jesus Christ. No, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And like I said, there has to be this accountability and punishment before we even consider forgiveness. This whole idea of just forgiveness, when they haven't even admitted to do anything, they haven't even said they're sorry. No one has said they're sorry. At the most, at the most, people who've been put into a corner because of all this evidence that they're fucking wrong, like, you know, like Santos had to admit finally that he embellished. But the one, even the ones who've been put into a corner, the most we've gotten from them is, well, yeah, it was a new thing, and we were we were nervous, and maybe we should have done it this way. That's the best we got from these fucking people. Forget about it. There's, there's not to be any forgiveness. There's not to be any forgiveness. And from the media, it's basically the same old shit. The media is like saying things we all said three years ago, but instead of saying they were wrong for, for censoring us and not writing these articles for the last three years, they just write some of the stuff now as though it's being newly discovered, and they're now doing their jobs. 
It's absolutely exactly. insane. There's going to be exactly. no forgiveness. Forget it. Exactly. Exactly. Forget this, it. this this parallels so much uh, um, the kind of uh, trajectory that happened um, post uh, um, uh, uh, housing bubble burst and post uh, WMD um, uh, disclosure, where they yeah they tried to write articles as though yeah this is being discovered today as though we didn't know this before going into Iraq war, as, this, as if we didn't know the housing bubble was inflated in 2004 and, then, and that it was taken, kept inflating for three years until it possibly burst. And now they're trying to claim, oh, yeah, we didn't know all this about, you know, there's it's a whole long laundry list of things that we apparently didn't know three years ago, which we all knew about COVID. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's there's no doubt about it. Well, you, you, the, the thing is now is that the problem the media has put themselves into, the corner they put themselves into is that they can't, if they write about this stuff now on a regular basis, like if, like if the Times or the Post, Washington Post wrote the article Sengo wrote, it's almost as though they are de facto admitting failure for the last three years for not having written about this before. So they're not, they're, gonna, they're just going to pretend it, it they're just going to pretend that it doesn't exist, right? They're going to just, they're just going to move on, as we say. They'll just move on to the next thing and, and just pretend all this stuff doesn't, doesn't matter and doesn't need to be done. You know what I'm saying? That we are now past, we are now quote unquote past all of this. Like, like, like the Atlantic, whatever it was that was, wrote the article, whoever she was, that forgot her name, who wrote the article about, about having a mea culpa and just moving on. But yeah, yeah. once again, that's what that's what people who do wrong things say. That's what people who do wrong. That's what that's what criminals like to say. Let's just ah, just forget about it. People who did yeah. things wrong and don't want to admit it. They always say, well, ah, let's just let's just let's just let's just move along. Let's move along. You know, and no, we can't do that. And we're not going to do that. We're not, it's not going to happen. Now that the Republicans are about to take over next week, it's not going to happen. We're going to see some kind. We'll, we'll see exactly what it is. And like I said, we are going to push. I know I will push on Twitter and I'll push on social media and I'll push on this podcast five nights a week. I'll push them to do more and more and more. We're going to see exactly how far they go. But Sam, but Mike, Mike Sanger's, you know, blueprint of points is a pretty good place to start. There are so many podcasts out there that, um, and I've been listening to a lot of them. It's really been picking up the pace um, with respect to, um, people organizing uh, via podcast and uh, other um, forms of fifth estate media to um, to to um, to seek redress um, for all the wrongs that have been done for, over the last three years. It's it's really picking up momentum now. Um, I, I there, there's there's no way that the, um, that um, the people of this country, um, or at least those of us that have been awake from from the beginning are going to let this pass without justice being served. And just like with the rack and just like with the housing bubble, um, pe people will belatedly um, realize um, how um, the media has fallen down on the job and how various institutions have screwed them over, whether it was our military and our CIA and our uh, uh, executive branch, our, our federal executive branch, that is our president, and his cabinet um, back in 2003 lying us into the Iraq war, or whether it was the uh, Greenspan and the Federal Reserve uh, telling us, oh, the market's just a little frothy in 2006. Um, 
and uh, and the uh, media just totally falling down on the job there with respect to reporting the intensity of of the housing bubble. Um, whether you know, there's there's a lot of uh, there's going to be there's going to be a lot of hell to pay. That's that's all I can say. And and um, and I am going to enjoy the shit out of it this time around um, because I, I am. Unlike unlike the Iraq debacle and unlike the uh, housing bubble and the Great Recession, this is so 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 much more personal to me. And I know I, it's it, it, I, and there are a lot of everybody a lot in of, this country. Yeah, and there are a lot of personal stories out there that we haven't even heard about. Right, this yeah. is really personal to a lot of people. There are a lot of people out there. There are some stories we I've you know we've, we've talked about your story a few times. You know we we've we've seen. People in the media have stories to tell um, about, especially about parents being put in these nursing homes, like in New York, with you know he, when Cuomo put all the sick people back in nursing homes and it spread through nursing homes and killed everybody. Um, we have plenty of stories of that stuff as well. We have stories of of of, of uh, elderly people in nursing homes could who died of loneliness because their family couldn't visit them the way they used to. We've seen those videos that were put out in 2020 of, of people needing to go up to the windows of the nursing homes and, and actually tap the windows of nursing homes and, and videotape their mother or father and the other grandmother or grandfather on the other side of the window and not be able to go in and, and hug them and comfort them. We've seen all of this. So there, there are millions and millions and millions, Daniel, of these personal stories, of these personal stories of, of, the, of the destruction, the illness, the death. The, the insanity of the lockdowns, the insanity of these policies, and the hurt and anguish they've caused people. And uh, the thing is, boys. the thing is, a lot of these stories are very, are, once again, we are, what can I call us? The, I can call these stories the, the very silent majority. There are a lot of these stories, but these people um, don't have a voice to speak out. They don't have a voice to tell these stories. So the Republican Congress must do their job. They must speak for these defense. people. Voice has been by social um, media um, uh, over the last yes. three years, and uh, yeah, there is there stories are legion, and um, and now that we've got a crack in this censorship wall, um, the social media censorship wall, these stories are going to be heard more and more and more, and that crack is going to open and open and up, open up more and more like a dam, and then that dam's going to break, and, and these stories will be heard, they will be. These stories will be part of folklore and, and uh, history for hundreds of years to come. Absolutely. But all this stuff needs to go on record. The, all this stuff needs to be go, go on record and go in history books, not be buried. That's the thing. These things cannot be buried. They have to be in history books. They have to be recorded. There has to be video. There has to be these 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 hearings need to be videotaped and shown to millions of people and broadcast. You know the legacy media won't do it, but you know there'll be clips on them, and they'll they'll won't be able to avoid playing clips. C-SPAN will, I'm sure, carry a lot of it live. Uh, you know, and uh, I'll I'll talk about it. You know, in detail. I'll talk about it in detail, and many podcasts will. But there has to be a record. Yeah, we we can't we can't let them brush it under the carpet. Yeah. yeah, I think everyone should should just realize this um, once and for all. The legacy media is it is dead. It is dead. It is it is not serving the purpose of the fourth estate that um, that it has at least 
ostensibly and to some degree effectively over since the beginning of this country. I mean, we've had periods of yellow journalism, et cetera. Um, it's never been this bad, never anywhere close to this bad. Um, and it's just dead. It's, it, we, we have a new media that's developing, uh, what some people refer to as the fifth estate, which is uh, uh, media that's ex that is springing up from uh, social media. And um, I think that's where the integrity in the media is going to develop and lie. And I think we will all learn to trust that media eventually, and we will all learn to how, to, how to trust that media. That is, how do we follow um, and source stories so that we're not doing things like happened in, in uh, 2003 with the WMDs where we had people circularly quoting each other. Um, we're going to be all become more adept at consuming um, news and media and more adept at doing that checking ourselves because now, because of these tools that we have in our hands and because of this tool, this, this gigantic um, uh, hydra of a tool that we have, which is the internet with all its information nodes, um, we have something that our ancestors or our parents didn't have when it comes to uh, uh, the ability to, to check and source uh, stories. Um, people are going to become a lot more savvy consumers and we ha will have no need for the MSM being this go-to filter where we have just a handful of people filtering what we, they think we need to know on a daily basis. They're gone. They're dead. They're done. It's a stinking, rotting corpse and people are just wandering around looking at it at this point and just wondering when the burial is. Absolutely. No doubt about it. You're right. Daniel, thanks for the call. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank have you. Good night. Yeah, you too. You too. Let's see if this works. Let's see if I can. Yeah, I was having trouble yesterday. I'm waiting for people to get back to me. I was having trouble um, disconnecting people. They weren't. I wasn't able to disconnect people. Not that I, you know, like to hang up on people, but eventually you have to disconnect them. And the app wasn't working yesterday. So I just, I was just going through a Twitter feed, and, and Mark Andressen posted this thing up, and it's like a a question that's asked online. You know how you can ask. Has Anthony Fauci ever lied? And the, the bot response is, it is not accurate or fair to say that Dr. Anthony Fauci, the director of the NIAID and a leading expert on infectious diseases, has ever lied. Dr. Fauci is a highly respected scientist physician who has spent his entire career working to improve public health and combat infectious diseases. A response from the, from the state, the propaganda, the state propaganda. And then they show a photo, of, if you remember, the Manchurian candidate with Frank Sinatra. Raymond Shaw is the kindest, bravest, most wonderful human being I've ever known in my life. You know, Elon Musk is reading, and then the thread goes upon all this stuff that shows what a uh, scumbag Fauci is. And Elon Musk wrote, despite these glaring issues, Twitter nonetheless had an internal Slack channel unironically called the Fauci Fan Club. <laughs> the Fauci Fan Club. Oh, no, but it's not a cult, right? It's not a cult. I love it how they, they say they're not a cult when they do things like that, when they put a fan club for a doctor. First of all, doctors shouldn't have a fan club, period. A good doctor just does his job, isn't in the spotlight, right? Doesn't become a big shot, doesn't make millions of dollars while everyone else is supposedly dying, which Fauci did, by the way. Remember, Fauci made millions and millions of dollars while gay men die, suffered and died. He made millions and millions of dollars while people supposedly suffered and died over the last two and a half years. So he got rich while other people died, right? So like while you're 
mother was dying or father was dying or you couldn't see your mother and father in the hospital or you couldn't go to the funeral of your aunt or uncle, Fauci was getting rich because he's a scumbag. And that's what scumbags do. They get wealthy and they prosper as other people suffer. Um, but then you have a Fauci fan club. That's not a real doctor, by the way. It's not a real doctor. A real doctor doesn't go on Sunday shows every Sunday for three fucking years. That's not a real doctor. A real doctor does their job. It only comes out when they might have to defend themselves. You're seeing more and more now of Jay Bhattacharya. It's because he has to defend himself. Remember, he was censored. He was canceled. The Fauci, the Fauci Cosa Nostra went after him and took him out. You know, the same with doctors like Peter McCullough who were silenced. But you don't hear that much from these guys. You only hear like, you know, when Fox puts them on or when a podcast like my own puts them on. This is when you hear from them. But Fauci's all over the place. He's all over legacy media. Right. Since March of 2020, partly the fault of Donald J. Trump, of course. But nonetheless. This is not a real doctor. This is not a real doctor. This is a career. Politician, OK, a career frontman for big pharma. OK, this is a career. Uh, a, basically a career criminal. Who makes money off of the suffering of others. That's what a criminal often does. They prosper off of the people they make suffer, right? Whether it's robbing people or killing people or or robbing like uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, right? They prosper. They live in the Bahamas and prosper while other people suffer. That's what a criminal does. And that's basically what Fauci's been for the entire career. Last 40 years, a career criminal who's prospered over the suffering of other people. I did want to get to, speaking of Sam Bankman-Fried, of course, we'll, we'll get back to Fauci. There'll be plenty of Fauci once the Republicans take over Congress. Don't worry. He thinks he's retiring on Saturday, and he might be. Uh, but trying to uh, avoid the subpoenas is not going to happen in his retirement. If anything, I want him to make his, quote-unquote, retirement miserable. Uh, but Sam Bankman, yeah, so we're talking this article in the Times. And so instead of the Times writing about these real issues, right, about Fauci's flaws, about Fauci's criminality, about Fauci's actual record, or what Mike Sanger writes about, which is all those wonderful 40-plus points of, of the investigations and the questions Congress has to ask regarding COVID policies, instead of writing about stuff like that, they write an article about how Sam Bankman-Fried isn't, isn't as bad as he seems, in the Bahamas, a lingering sympathy for SBF. Residents there have a generous view. Now, remember, when they say this, they're saying people there liked him because he spent money there and he was there all the time and they got to know him there and he thought they was friendly and they want crypto. They need crypto to survive there and they don't want crypto to die and so on and so forth. But remember this. Remember this. When they talk about this, when they say, when they write an article, if someone, who's this guy's name? Who's this guy's name? Rob Copeland at the Times. He, if I'm the editor of the Times, editor-in-chief, and he says he wants to write an article about how they love him in the Bahamas. Now, I'm going to say, well, what? before we write this fluff article about his, this fucking son of a bitch is loved in the Bahamas, is there any real strong evidence to that? No, of course not. If you read through this article, they interviewed a couple of people. So what if 0.02%, what if 5% of the people in the Bahamas like him? Why would you write an article about how this simp- – if 5% of the people – and reading this article, there's no evidence that even 5% of the people like him. Why would you write an article about their sympathy for him? Because there's not. Unless there's a groundswell of love for him, this is not a story. 
There's no groundswell of this is all made up. See, this is the New York Times filling up its shit pages, be it in print or online, with garbage because they don't want to cover real stories. This goes on and on forever. This is like 8,000 words. This is ridiculous. What's the real, where's the evidence? Once again, there's no evidence. Journalists don't need to provide any evidence anymore. If you're telling me that Sam Bankman-Fried is loved in the Bahamas, you have to make a really good case for that. There's no good case here because three or four people said they, 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 he, he, he's Bahamian. One, he's Bahamian, one lady said. Oh, well, that proves, I think he has a good heart, said Shemekha Moss, a Nassau school administrator, a teacher in Nassau. I think he has a good heart. Oh, well, let's write an article about that. Let's write an article about that. How the people there think he's Bahamian. He's Bahamian. It's ridiculous. Once again, it's fake news. It's fake news. It, they don't love Sam Bankman Freed in the Bahamas. A couple of people like him. A couple of people would have written a good, a couple of people would have said a nice thing about Hitler too. In fact, a lot of Germans would have said some really fucking nice things about Hitler. Do you write an article about how great a guy Hitler is? He's not so bad. Certain parts of Germany love this guy. Can you imagine that? What schlock this is. But this is what they fill up their pages with because they won't fill it up with real news. They won't fill it up with real news. So there's plenty of room to write crap like this. What editor-in-chief worth anything, forget the large salaries these assholes are paid, would let a story like this go? Who? Who would let a story like this go? Why even write it? Why even? Now, you can write a story about how, because Sam Bankman-Fried is a schmuck, that crypto, there's still a point to crypto, right? That a lot of people want to invest in crypto. That's, a, that's okay in the, in, the, in, the, in the financial pages. That's fine. That's real news. People do like crypto. People are still are indeed saying that he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't, uh, you know, exemplify all of crypto. And there are a lot of good people in crypto. Fine, write an article about that. But this ain't that. This is bullshit. This is just crap to fill up pages that could be filled up with other stuff. That could be filled up with other stuff. And then people will say, well, look, I don't get it. I mean, people have said both things about the New York Times, right? That they're anti-Semitic and they, they also kiss the asses of Jews. They've, people have said both things. But, of course, this would lead to the latter thought that the guy's Jewish, so they have to write this puff piece about him. And if his name was, you know, Johnny, Joan, jo, you know, Johnny Lee Jones of, 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 of Alabama, that they wouldn't write about it. They wouldn't write a fluff piece about him. But either way, it's garbage. Either way, this is garbage. And it's why so many people don't trust the legacy media anymore. You look for stories that are real. Where is the story? Where is the story about all of the, of, of the censorship that happened on Twitter? 
Where's the story? There, there's tons and tons is a treasure trove of evidence proving that point. Where's the story in the Times? Where are the stories in the Post? So instead of writing about that, that where there's a treasure trove of evidence now, they write about this shit where there's no treasure trove of evidence that the people in Bahamas love SBF. Other than three or four people that this idiot talked to. Eric Weinstein writes, uh, Daniel had spoken about it. He said, is this whole journalism thing just over now? Is that a wrap? What's the function of this? This is a former newspaper. It clearly prefers FBF to Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson, and I added Elon Musk. This wasn't hyperbole. It literally has that preference. Literally. And it literally has the preference of writing something like this over real news, like the Twitter files. Over real news, like the censorship. Real news, like the the stepping on and the shitting on of the U.S. Constitution and the First Amendment. You won't see those stories. Hear about them here. You'll hear about them on other podcasts on this network, call in others. But you won't see it in the Times. You won't see it on CNN. You won't read it or see it in legacy media. So, yeah, journalism is, for the most part, I wouldn't say journalism's dead. I would say journalism, as far as the legacy media goes, is is dead. You know, Jimmy Dore, I know, he, he, uh, he kids about that all the time, that you have to get your real news from a stupid comedian, which is terrible. But <laughs> getting your real news from me is terrible. I'm not a journalist. But I, I will talk more about the real issues on this show on this little show, then you will see combined on CNN, MSNBC, the New York Times, and the Washington Post. And that's just a fact. That's just a fact. And they're proving it more and more every day. And then also, uh, Mr. Weinstein, Eric Weinstein, once again, no relation to Harvey. Uh, I guess, do we have to say that forever? Maybe. Uh, The amount of insanity that has become normalized in five to six years can no longer be comprehended. We don't realize how far the riptide of stupid has pulled us away from being able to discuss anything at all. It's just infinite, daily, abject stupidity. And what he links to, and I'm going to retweet it right now as I speak to you, is that ridiculously fucking dumb musical number Stephen Colbert did with the dancing vaccines, the dancing needles with the audience clapping and cheering like fucking idiots, like dumb peasants cheering at a fucking carnival, cheering at a fucking carnival of a fucking, uh, what do you call that? The carnival of the absurd with the bearded men and the, the bearded women and elephant man, all that nonsense. This is what it looks like. It's a fucking joke. It's a carnival act. These dancing, look at this, These, the da- dancing vaccines, the vaccine needles. That's what he talks about. This is, this is what we have to deal with now. This is, this is just total propaganda Fake news perpetrated by outlets with millions and millions and millions of listeners, millions and millions and millions of, yeah, a real freak, yes, at a freak show. Thank you, Daniel. A freak show at the circus. Where, you know, often those people 
who are at freak shows. There's the freak show on stage, and the people who enjoy it and clap to it are also freaks. So the whole thing is freakishness. So Colbert's a freak, the people performing are freaks, and the people clapping in the audience are freaks. It's, it's a total freak show. I mean, this is, this is what passes now. This is what passes. It's not news. It's not funny. It's not entertaining. It's idiotic propaganda packaged as news and entertainment and comedy. It's mind control. You do mind control not by saying, hello, we are now going to do mind control. You do mind control by packaging it, by disguising it as things like real news and real entertainment done by entertainers and quote-unquote writers, quote-unquote entertainers and quote-unquote writers. That's how you do it. God, I wish I could bring Orwell back from the dead and put him on my show. Hey, you're never the only guy I can get. It'll do a seance. <laughs> try, to get, try to get George Orwell off. One day we'll do a seance. And we'll get George Orwell back. Because God, he must be flipping, doing flips in his grave. Flips. 360s. This is just insanity. And only we can end this. And we have to end. I'm going to actually write to Elon Musk and say, he's got to take that yellow. What is with the yellow check marks now? Or the orange, wherever they are, orange, yellowy check marks. Why does the New York Times have one? They're an official what? In fact, I should write to him now. I'm going to write to him now while I'm doing this. I'm going to write, write to Elon Musk right now. At Musk. At Musk. I don't usually do this, but I'm just up. So I don't forget. Why does the at New York Times? I'm right. Look, this is I'm doing this live here. Why does the at New York Times have a yellow check mark? Have a yellow check mark. They are official. They are official. That's what they. That's what he considers it, right? Official. They are official. Official. They are official what? Official fake news? He won't. He won't answer me. Maybe I'll CC it to uh, the owner of Colin, David Sachs. So, why does the New York Times have a yellow check mark? They are official what? Official fake news? Okay, that'll go to Elon Musk. Let's see if he answers. Sometimes he answers within a second. If he doesn't answer within a second, usually you're not going to get an answer. Yellow checks for yellow journalists, Daniel says. That's a good one. I like that. Too late. I'm not going to put it in the tweet. But um, maybe you should do that. But yeah, what is this? I mean, what are, it, it gets to the point now where why should the New York Times be called an official news outlet? Because they say they are? Why don't you have to prove it? Joe Rogan. I was going to say my show. But Joe Rogan should have a, a yellow check mark before the New York Times. Absolutely, Joe Rogan should have a yellow check mark. Why doesn't Joe Rogan have a check mark, a yellow check mark? SBF should have a yellow check mark for the New York Times. He's an official scumbag, but he's at least official. What is this official? Yeah, there was a time, but how long can you rest on your laurels, right? How long, how long can you count on that, on your former self? It was a long time ago. 
that this was real news. It's not real news anymore. It's fake news. By the way, fake news. I want to get some one fake news before the show. I'll do a last call, by the way, for if you want to, if anyone wants to call in. Um, would you say, Andrew? You can call in if you'd like. But the New York Times is an official news outlet simply because the people who work there have fancy degrees from equally corrupt places. Yes, and because of like a former reputation of maybe formerly having some kind of real journalists. But once again, that's a long time ago. What have you done for me lately, baby? What have you done for me lately? I'll give thumbs up to both of us for that. You know, but... You know, I do want to mention one thing. Um, Mike Pence, I'm glad I didn't mention this yesterday. Mike Pence is not officially running for president. If you haven't heard yet, because yesterday there were rumors going around that he filed. I was actually going to talk about him filing, and I'm glad I forgot to do that. <laughs> I just simply forgot because, uh, as it turns out, it, he didn't really file. I, I don't know. It was some kind of a why would why do you have to create rumors about Mike Pence running for office? Who, who cares if he does or doesn't? I mean, who cares? why do you have to make a rumor? about Mike Pence running for office. Is that sexy that we have to make a rumor about that? I don't know. But there was a rumor that he was running for office, and he's not yet. I think he will. My opinion is he will. And By the way, I should comment on this. The only thing I saw after people thought he had officially uh, put his papers in, all these ridiculous comments, how he has no chance, what a joke he is. I, I would not I'm not saying I, I would not vote for Mike Pence over. I'd vote, I'd vote for Mike Pence over Donald Trump. I would not vote for Mike Pence over, over Ron DeSantis. But don't think for a second that people might not be ready for someone who has a calm demeanor, who's not a drama queen, right? A Reagan-esque type person. Don't think that people might not be ready for that now. Someone who you might not agree with a lot all the time but you know is not going to get you into trouble so that is something that people might be thinking of a calming presence all right that you know we got uh, donald trump who we know is not a calming presence is a loudmouth. ron DeSantis, who's much more refined politically but also you know pretty upfront and in your face when he when he wants to be i like that about him but don't think that a mike pence can't sneak in because of his demeanor being so different than those other guys. And once again, that very calming way of talking. You know, I'm calm, I'm Mike Pence. People could be ready for that kind of a thing. So I wouldn't say he's a cartoon character. I wouldn't put him in that category of someone who has no chance. I think that's wrong. People will automatically think, oh, he's boring, he's milquetoast, he's wishy-washy. But I don't believe that for a second. I think Mike Pence is a, could be a very strong candidate. Now, timing-wise, and I think that's why he's going to get in, to be a contrast to these other people who are much more, much louder and much more in your face. Uh, so we'll see. I think he's going to run. I think uh, Pence a- – oh, hey, Andrew. Hey, Andrew, how are you? I'm good, sir. How are you? Good. What's up? I was just wondering if um... – if Biden runs again, do you think that he's going to replace Kamala Harris as VP? Because I was sitting around thinking about how scary it would be Ooh. if Biden died today with what's <laughs> going on in Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. And it took Truman 116 days to drop the bomb after he was elevated from VP. Mm. So I don't know. It just she seems like uh, if he were to run again, he'd be so old and then everyone hates Kamala Harris so much. Uh, it would be very obvious that it seems to me that would be 
I don't. Ignorance. I think. I think the opposite, Mike. Uh, Andrew, Mike, Andrew. I think the opposite. I think that the Democratic Party would rather have her run than him, since because she's young, she's a woman, and she's black. I don't think they would let. First of all, I don't think they want him to run. But I think the last thing they would let him do is drop her. I think they they don't want they you know, Democrats love identity politics. That's one of the reasons why they wanted a female black vice president. Um, and I think it. I, I think it's the opposite. I think that they want him out. They'd rather have. I tell you, they don't like. I, I don't think Demo- most of the Democrats that they would have talked to you privately don't want either of them running for president. But I think the last thing they would want is for him to run and drop her. They'd want him to keep her. You know. So, but I agree with you. Maybe not, maybe that's what this country needs. I don't wish anybody will you know ill will. I don't want Biden to die. But maybe that's what this country needs: is someone like Biden to step aside. And let Kamala Harris be president for two years. If Kamala Harris was president for the next two years, do you think a Democrat would win anytime soon? I don't know if the country would be uh, around. Because I know you worry about the bomb. Politically, I think it would be massively damaging. Yeah, I do. Oh, yes, it would be very damaging. Like I said, maybe this country deserves to have that. Maybe they deserve, for, for electing these pair, this pair, maybe they deserve to see what that's like. Like, uh, it's a wonderful life. You know, you, you, you have to see the other th- side a little bit before you really learn your lesson. Maybe she, need, maybe this country needs to learn its lesson and see what life is like under a President Kamala for a couple of years. Yeah, you know? I just can't. Uh, I can't imagine that they go forward with Biden again. I mean, it seems so. I mean, I really I, personally, I, I'm one of the few people I know of personally, and you're just going to have to take my word for it, I guess, that predicted that Trump would win in 2016 and that Biden would win in 2020. Most people picked one or the other on both of those. And I didn't really think Biden had a great chance at winning. But the covid stuff, I thought, just kind of pushed him over the edge because I thought the country was so panicked that. They just wanted anything other than what they blamed as the Trump administration for uh, the bad handling of the situation. And they wanted this sense of adults in the room. And it's been so bad um, ever since then that I don't see how they could run him again. And I agree with you that they probably would like someone like Kamal Harris. It's just um, I don't think she could win. So I think the only way someone as incompetent and insane as her could get into office is if she were riding the coattails of someone and that they died and she became elevated to the position. Right. No, that's a nightmare. No, no, I understand. It's like when I say the country should, you know, have to suffer, we suffer too, right? We're part of the country. (laughs) So we suffer also. But I think, I think in a way, you know, taking away the bomb thing, we always talk about those things, but, but taking away the, the kind of extreme thing, I think it might be good. It would certainly be good for the Republican running in 2024, if that would happen, although I think it's it's good for the Republican running in 2024, regardless, because I don't think in the end Biden will run again. And I think that's good. I think it's embarrassing for the Democrats that their incumbent president can't run again, you know, and it opens up the seat, you know, the power of the incumbency. We just saw the we just saw the power of the incumbency, no matter how bad some of them were, they were reelected. Right. So right. the incumbency is a very powerful thing. and the Democrats would lose that if Biden doesn't run again. So I think they're screwy the way he's a weak candidate. If he runs for reelection, they look bad. If he can't run for election, they have an open seat there. So either way, I don't think it looks good. Look, the Republicans have a lot going for them going into 2024, not just as far as the white house goes, but the Senate map is in their favor. They have a great chance of keeping their majority in the house. I mean, once again, 
I'll never put it past any party, especially the Republicans who have things going their way to fuck it up. But I mean, there are a lot of signs two years ahead of time that it could be a very good year for the Republicans in 2024 if they play their cards right. And I think, once again, those cards say, don't let Donald Trump be the nominee. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I think that they're set up to win unless they do something stupid like say that, I don't know, the election's fraudulent. And so, you know, I'm not a, you don't know me, I'm not a Trump supporter, I'm not a partisan of any party, but it always struck me as odd that Trump was at the same time saying that the election was stolen from him, but then the people should go out and vote in further elections. Uh, you know, that's he just said things that would lower his own turnout, like mail in ballots were fraudulent. So you should not mail in your ballot. Huge mistake. That was a huge mistake. And I huge think if the Republicans keep away from that, then they won't suppress their own turnout and they will win, especially if they uh, Democrats run Biden again, which is an interesting question in itself because he says he wants to run. I guess that mm. could be a lie. You know, he could just be saying that to look strong for now and then step back. But if it is true and he actually wants that and there's some kind of a power struggle between the Democrat Party and Biden himself, uh, that would be pretty interesting. But, I, you know, like you said, any way you cut it, I'm pretty sure that the, the Republicans are set up to win, especially if they run DeSantis. Uh, I think he's the most politically dangerous person mm-hmm. around for the GOP. And the best uh, ticket, I, I, I've come to the, I've come to the idea right now that the best ticket will be DeSantis and, and Nome. I think that'd be a great ticket. I really do. You know. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, that could win yeah. probably. Well, well, I think. I, I think the Republicans do. I, once again, I hate identity politics. I hate the. But I think in twenty twenty four, I think Republicans could could would do well with a female vice president, vice president uh, nominee. Yeah. Anything that they do to take away the standard talking points is a strong move politically, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just, just common sense. But, Tulsi uh, Gabbard's another possibility, the vice president. Yeah, I think she's going to be getting something appointed. I I, uh, I feel like she's not able to win an election. I used to be a big Gabbard fan. In fact, I maxed out my individual donations to her in the 2019 <laughs> Democratic campaign, not because I thought she would win. But just because I wanted her to say what she had to say on stage and uh, seeing her drop kick Kamala Harris out of the race was worth every penny. Yeah, she's good there. I mean, Noam and, and and and, you know, and Gabbard are very good. I think they're very strong. Um, I think, you know, fundamentally, they it, it's, it's going to be tough to really label either of them, especially Tulsi, as an extreme right winger. It's really impossible to do. They'll, they'll always try. The left will always try to do that. But, I mean, I just don't see how it's going to be possible. They're both young. They're both female. They're both, you know, pretty you know, bad looking. You know, I think it's it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a bad idea for another white male, you know, nominee, presidential nominee to, to have a vice presidential nominee. That's a woman, you know, as much as I despise identity politics, I want the best person. I think I can convince myself that either of them would be the best person also. Right. I think there could be a lot of there could be a lot of people that are suitable for the job. And then you have to consider who could actually help the ticket. Right. And that used to be that used to be why that used to be the whole idea behind the vice presidential nominee. Right. The person who helps the ticket the most. Right. That was it used to be. I remember when I'm growing up, it used to be, well, if I'm from the north, I'm picking someone from the south. Right. If I'm from the south, I'm picking someone from the north. It hasn't really worked that way anymore. You know, but that's that's what it used to be. 
That's what that, that's what they'll used to be. But now, especially with the Democrats, it's let's see, uh, black woman, check, gay, but you know, it's, you know, they check, they check all the identity pol. They go for the identity politics boxes, yeah. the woke, the woke boxes. Geographically, it doesn't even matter anymore. It used to be all about geography, yeah. you know, and now that that's out the door. Now it's like, oh wow, if we, can have a, if we can have a black male president and a female bi gender gender identity, you know, it's 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 insane. It's totally yeah. insane. So it's keep totally your eye on uh, keep your eye on Pete Buttigieg because I know oh please a lot don't of mention I knew you were going to mention Pete Buttigieg. Oh my god, they love him. They really oh, look, do. He's such a great transportation secretary. I mean, look how great the transportation. <laughs> look at how great the air the airlines are. Look how hey how about that uh, that uh, oh, train yeah, system Southwest. he was going to get? Yeah, how about that air there, that uh, that train system he was going to get going? The new the new Amtrak. He's a full. He's terrible. He's awful. He's the worst. Yeah. Yes. Look, as a presidential candidate, he was terrible. He fooled people for a few minutes in, in New Hampshire, and that was about it. You know, but, right. you know, it's like, come on, the, that guy's a – if that is the best the Democrats can do on their bench, they're in trouble. That is. It is. I, I mean, if it's not Biden and Harris, it's someone like him. And that says a lot about where they're at as a party. But I think that you're right about – Tulsi specifically, if DeSantis were to run and, you know, the other thing we're not talking about is that this is two years away still. And a lot, as we can have seen in recent history, can happen in that time. Right. And the country can become a lot more divided. And I think that the GOP has an opportunity to kind of run potentially in a scenario where the country's even more divided as a kind of unity party, a kind of like bringing sanity back to the country, uh, especially if it's DeSantis. And, and then having Tulsi Gabbard as the VP would be perfect bait for all the Democrats to call her a Russian asset and all this kind of stuff and play into the division. And the GOP would just be standing there saying, look at how they're swear, you know, smearing uh, this uh, you know, person who served and all that. I, I could just see it happening. And I, I don't know about Christine Ohm. I'm sure that's another good option, but I do see that there is an opportunity for the GOP to kind of sweep in and kind of do what Biden did, I think, to Trump in the 2020 election, which is like, we want to restore sanity. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are going to be convinced by that, whether I personally don't like DeSantis for uh, foreign policy reasons. It's always my number one thing, but I can't deny that. Uh, I mean, this this is just what I see coming, you know. Yeah, I don't know if I if I like anyone when it comes to foreign policy. I mean, who, yeah, who, who do you trust when it comes? You know, who is it? You know, actually, I guess Tulsi Gabbard, right? I mean, well, if that you think was about the it. one that was closest to my views. Yeah, but, right. But have, even having a vice president with those views is, is would be spectacular. I mean, it really would because we haven't had someone that would. high up with those views, and those views can rub off a little bit on the president. You know, so I think that's that would be important. But the question is really, and as I was saying, as you were calling in, I think. Well, obviously, Trump is in, although I wanted to talk about this, and I will later in the week. Where has he gone since he announced? His whole very... campaign has seemed lame to me. I mean, he, he announced it was underwhelming. I feel like a lot of people were disappointed by the announcement, and then the next big announcement was an NFT thing. I mean, it's a very low-energy campaign. He's running like a loser. He's running like a loser. That you sound like really him. Want to run. You sound like him. You sound like him. <laughs> well, I can't help but notice in 2016 he was knocking people out left and right from the get go, and this well, time like I, said, I thought I nothing. thought that I I think that was his. Well, let's put it this way: I think that was his idea, as I've mentioned on the show before the, the the midterms. I thought his idea of announcing so early was to say, "I'm king. Don't even try to challenge me," you know. But I, I think that was the whole idea of him 
announcing this absurdly early, two years ahead of time, was to say, look, people, over Christmas holiday, don't even think about it. Enjoy your Christmas holiday. Don't even think about running against me because it's not going to work. You know, I, I'm, I'm the king and that's it. So I think that was the reason for it. But then the midterms happened and 75 percent of his candidates lost. And in fact, all of them in the Senate lost. And he lost a lot of that luster. He lost a ton of that luster. Yet he was in a position of already having decided to run. So yeah. I think that's why I think that announcement would have been much more Trump like if his candidates had won. Right. Yeah, I, don't fact, think I think if his speech. candidates had won, he would have had them on that stage with him. I think that was the plan. Oh, yeah. man. Oh, I think yeah. that was the plan. And no one was there because they all lost. Yeah. How do you how do you revise that speech? Exactly. Right. You know? Right. I think uh, he, was, he was caught in this position where, you know, where, where now he had to announce he's running and there's so much luster was lost because all of his candidates lost. So that really ha- has given, I think, these other people. I think if, if most of his candidates had won. I think a lot of people like DeSantis wouldn't want to get into this thing. They would right. see Trump, but now Trump lost so much of his power. They, if they, they see a shot, if you're if you're a DeSantis and you see you have a shot, this is like a once in a lifetime thing. And he kind of exposed his own weak. Trump exposed his own weakness here. And DeSantis was proven the winner that night, right? DeSantis I, was the, was the well. There's people now saying that he cheated. There are Republicans oh, yeah, saying that it's, yeah, you know, of course. the whole thing's insane. So yeah, well, we uh, know. Can I ask uh, one last question of you? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, you know, with Trump having Mar-a-Lago raided and with the tax returns coming out, they're going to go through them and the New York district looking into his business dealings. I feel pretty confident now that he's going to be charged with something. What do you think about this? And if he was charged, do you think it would help or hurt his election uh, election chances? And how would the GOP in an election, you know, who can even imagine this is happening? But we're in such a fucked up state in this country. If Trump is running for president while he's charged, what does the GOP say about that? And are they going to use, you know, did you see what well, I'm saying my, here? What I'm saying, if, if, I'm, if I'm running against Trump or if I'm running the GOP, or if I'm a spokesperson, if I'm the head of the party, whatever it may be, what I'm saying is someone's uh, innocent. What I'm saying is we think a lot of these things that the Democrats have done are witch hunts. A man is innocent and to be proven guilty. However... We have so many other possible candidates without this baggage. Why do why take a chance? Why do right. we need all this baggage? That that's how I would say it. I think politically that could fly pretty well. You know, we're not saying he's a crook. We're still saying that the Democrats you have gone with this witch hunt, and if you if you dig deep and deep enough into anybody, you're gonna finally get something, and that's what they've done. But he hasn't been convicted of anything. He has the right to run. But why don't we go in a in a direction where all these other great candidates, hopefully such as Ron DeSantis who doesn't have all this baggage with him that that proves he can get votes from all most importantly proved he can get votes from democrats latinos black gays everyone in florida to win by a million and a half votes he's turned florida from purple to red this is the guy that's what i would say right i that's agree what I would say. With that, that and if, if, I, if i'm DeSantis, i'm even running those ads i'm running those ads if right. i'm on DeSantis. right you know so so I do you think, think Trump will turn it into a boon, though? Do you think Trump will turn it into a boon and kind well, of – Well, Trump will do what he's done all up? along. He's saying, you know, it's a witch hunt against me. We have to fight back. We can't let them take us down, blah, 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 blah. You know, but Trump's going to have his base. His base will not – his his main base will not abandon him no matter what, right? So – Yeah. But, but I'm the, wondering I, if he turns but, out more. Yeah, but no, result. I don't think so. Let's look okay. at – someone said that – my friend said that to me yesterday who's a Democrat. He said, well, if all these people run against Trump, it's better for Trump. Because then Trump needs a smaller percentage to win in the primary, right? He can get 30% in every state and win. Notice his base will always be bigger than everyone else's base. 
And I said, well, not necessarily. Because if you look at Trump's base, look, make a circle, go to the inner core of that circle, and you have the, a small percentage of people who will never leave him, even if he was behind bars, right? They'll never leave him. Mm-hmm. Forget right. it. But I think outside that inner circle, people are breaking off. I think we're seeing that. I think we're that's seeing clear. people who loved him four years ago who don't want him to run anymore. You know, so we're seeing that now. We're seeing the erosion of the outer circle. And that's enough, I think, to really hurt him in a primary. You know, so right. especially yeah. getting his start off so bad. I mean, his starting his, his uh, candidacy off so bad with degrading support. It's just not how it was in 2016. No, 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 no. His base has been greatly eroded because I, you know, I know not just people I see on television, but people I know personally who were totally team Trump back then who now like DeSantis more. Let's put it that way. Now, that might change if DeSantis doesn't run, uh, God forbid, heaven forbid, whatever. That could change because I don't know if a Mike Pence or a Mike Pompeo or one of those people can over can overtake Trump. It would be a lot yeah, tougher. It would be much harder. It would be yeah. much harder. I think the only person who can really take him out is DeSantis. Yeah, it's this kind of X factor that, I don't know, it sounds stupid to say, but there's a, it's kind of like a passing of the mantle on culture war. It seems to me that DeSantis is going to be able to talk about how he handled the vaccines and all these kinds of things. And yeah. I mean, Trump's just going to brag about how great his magical, uh, what what was it, the, the, the quick, the quick road to the vaccine, you know, Op- Operation Warp Speed, but right. But, you, but, but, but the problem with that is, is that when he the, mentions how great this vaccine is at rallies, they boo him. Right, exactly. But he can't help it because of his ego. So, right. So, so he's, he's in a tough spot because on yeah. that issue, even his core people don't like that. They don't right. want him to talk about that anymore. They know it's bullshit and they don't want him to even talk about it anymore. You know, yeah. so that, that's a problem. He can't really talk about that much. He really can't. And DeSantis so, can, right? Well, so what DeSantis like a- can do is say something very simple, which is you need a president with vision. A president who, when everyone else is doing the wrong thing and saying the wrong things, can have the vision to do the right thing. And I prove that in Florida. Here's the receipts. That's so big, man. I mean, that yeah. can, you know, and he can say that that works over a whole host of issues that may come up when someone is president of the United States. Do you want someone with vision who looks at the facts and knows how to identify the facts and knows how to respond to them correctly? Or do you want all these other people who did the wrong thing? Look, I, I, look. Once again, I'm a big DeSantis fan, and I talk him up, and I talk myself into talking him up, but I think what I'm saying is true. I mean, it makes sense to me, and I'm not a partisan. I have no horse in the race here, and it does seem to me that DeSantis will also be able to say that Trump's a loser, literally lost, and I know that will make some people mad. Oh, no. that he's still president, but I mean— If DeSantis decides to run Trump's his opponent, and he can't back down, he won't. He's not going to be afraid. Yeah, so he's a loser. Right. DeSantis is a winner. And that's, and, that's the story. A, and that's the thing that, you know, we could talk about and we'll talk about this a lot next year, I'm sure, once everything starts getting going in the spring. But I mentioned this before. When Trump first came on the scene in 2016 with that Republican, people always say, oh, but look at the way he ran through all those people. Well, they were all losers in a way because <laughs> because they they were not ready for him. No, they, they were, were not ready. Disorganized. For, yes, they were not ready for that kind of a tornado. And now people are. The, the act has worn thin, mm-hmm. right? And there have been chinks yeah. in the armor. And someone like DeSantis isn't going to be Jeb Bush, isn't going to be Mike Huckabee, isn't going to be Chris Christie. He's not going to allow Donald Trump to run all over him, all right? So that's the thing. And you're right. He can simply say, Trump lost twice. 
He lost the popular vote in 2016, and he lost outright in 2020. <laughs> but Donald Trump ran twice and lost the popular vote twice by a combined 10 million votes. Do we want to take, do we want to take a chance a third time? I, mean, yeah, I, I could write. I could write DeSantis's ads, man. I could be DeSantis's ad man, you know. And this is just the stuff he has to and will talk about. And that will be a turning of the tables, won't it? Him calling Trump a loser. I think that will be, like I said, the cultural passing of the mantle to who's the new conservative, uh, you know, bearer of the culture war. That the new our guy, and it's going to be DeSantis at that point. And Trump really won't have any way to counter it. You know, it's just he doesn't have anywhere to go except the kind of insults that were entertaining in 2016. But like you said, they were so disorganized. How hard is it to take down the GOP when they can't decide if they want to back Jeb Bush or any of the other 10 clowns they had? I mean, it was uh, a totally different scenario. So I think you're right. And it's just a matter of whether or not, you know, DeSantis is going to run, which I feel like it's pretty obvious that He's going to, even though I mean, you got to you got to strike while the iron's hot. You got to strike, you know, after what he just didn't. If he wasn't sure before Florida, he has to be sure after that midterm. Well, what else could you be looking for? You're just going to wait for Trump to die. I mean, right. And why would you wait? In other words, why would you wait another full cycle, another another election as governor? You know, why why would you do that? Why would you let another four years pass when you have this huge victory? It just happened, and you can announce. You, it does to me. It makes no sense. Either you run now, or you don't run at all. You know. So, I'll be interested to see how this all unfolds, unfolds for for sure. And if Trump does lose, I have absolutely no doubt that he will say it was rigged and do whatever oh, he yeah. can to Definitely whatever. Yeah. You know. But again, like, what effect will that have really if DeSantis goes on to win and run in the general? And is Trump going to tell people not to vote for? I mean, I don't even think uh, he'd be that relevant. I mean, he's allowed back on Twitter. He hasn't tweeted once. He's been emasculated by Elon Musk, for Christ's sake. Yeah, well, like, I, yeah, and I, it's true. And I think, you know, Trump's reasoning is he owns Truth Social and Twitter's a competitor, you know. And, I'm sure but, that's you know, going really well. Yeah, it's not. And, you know, let's put it this way. I do agree with one thing. During, once the campaign gets going, if Trump tweets something on, tweet, on, on Truth Social, the, the media is still going to cover it. It doesn't matter that it's not on Twitter. And Trump knows that. So his, 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 his tweets are going to go viral no matter where they are. But I, I think that um, I, I think that the, the, the problem is that he's lost so much luster, as you said. It's, it's just a lot of luster that's been lost. Once again, people knowing his act, being ready for his act, the, the midterm debacle, all of his candidates losing, his name being poison, all these, you know, ba- all this baggage stuff he has going on with with investigations and possible, you know, prosecutions and all that stuff. And it's like why really and 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 also getting close to 80 years old right so like why why do that when you've got this 45 year old guy in florida who's just a fantastic candidate and proven he couldn't get votes that republicans have never been able to get it it, yeah. it, it doesn't it to me it's a what do you call it a no brainer i know it doesn't matter in this world but it's a no brainer and i i i'd be totally shocked if don if ron DeSantis didn't run i'd be really shocked if he didn't run for president what, yeah, else, what else can he accomplish in Florida? What else is there to accomplish now? Not much as governor. Well, I, don't as much. I think he's clearly an ambitious guy. That's the other thing. It's not just some, you know, random name. This is a person that's clearly been on a political path that he's laid for himself. And, and why? And, and also doing things like going after Big Pharma now and looking to sue Big Pharma and taking the lead on that. 
would you just do that if you're yeah. not, you know, if you're just going to be governor of Florida forever and you're not going to, you know, that's something that you would think more that's of a president would, would do, right? Someone in federal office, someone who's a, you know, the president of the United States would do. It's to me, like you say, the ambition there really yeah. proves to me that there's, there's more to come. He's going to be real dangerous. He's going to be real dangerous because he's going to be he's going to be able to say, I know how to operate government. I'm not a fool and I can actually operate government. So, yeah. And and usually in the past, you know, we've all often looked to governor to become president. Right. I mean, usually governors have the lead over over senators or, or, you know, people in in the legislature because they are the executives and they're used to that executive position. So it's it's a you know, it's a different and it's a big state, 21 million people. So once again, I would be totally shocked especially now that his wife is better and her cancer has been cured and all that. I, I think it's almost impossible that come March, February, March, April timeframe that he doesn't announce that he's running, um, you know, but, but, really, but his, his name is, so everyone knows who he is, right? He's a popular guy. He doesn't have to announce early. He doesn't have, no, he's, he's, got he, he's a name. So he doesn't need to start, you know, now he can wait until the spring and which yeah. is probably be the case, you know? So it's just, you know, I, I think that, it will be, yeah, I think it'll be very entertaining. I mean, yeah, I think the party's going to back him too. It's not going to be as disparate as it was before. It's going to be much more focused. Well, you mean like where they, where they, they let the, you know, in 2016, where the Republicans let the people decide and Democrats didn't, you know, where they, where they fixed it, where they fixed everything for Hillary. I mean, I'm not against an open, honest primary where the, no, where the party, it's nothing you know. about being rigged. It's just, I mean, this is how American politics works. When you have uh, a lot of billionaires that prefer one candidate, they're going to get a lot more support, right? I mean, <clears throat> compared to all those billionaires having their own special opinions, they just come together and decide that maybe we should just back to San- I mean, listen to David Sachs. He's out there trying to lead the billionaire right wing class into support of DeSantis and not to do what they did in 2016 and have a clown car of 20 people where, you know, 18 of them don't have a shot in hell. Um, But yeah, I mean, personally, I would like to see the Democratic Party destroyed. Uh, My views are probably more left wing than yours. And Mm -hmm. the Democratic Party is the uh, worst thing to happen to America, in my opinion, in my life. Just, uh, I mean, I've, I can't, think of a, a group of people that have betrayed their values more and the people that they say that they represent more in the name of, uh, you know, all the things they pretend to oppose <laughs> well, in the where, name where, of human rights. And, Andrew, where do you live? Where, where are you calling from? Um, in uh, Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois. Okay. So yeah, a very democratic blue state, right? I mean, yeah, I'm in a, I'm in a purple County. I'm in McHenry County. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. But, but you still have Prisker, you know, Pritzker's a Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know. So, unfortunately, you're 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 stuck. I, 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 Prisker, Newsom. I mean, you know, you say potato, I say potato. Same thing. But um, it, it it's it's like we have a we we know what it's like now as far as the general election goes, right? We know the states that are in play right now, right? We know it's it's Michigan, it's uh, it's Pennsylvania, it's Wisconsin, it's Georgia and Arizona, Pennsylvania and Florida, right? I mean, those are the, I, I think I named them all. <laughs> Yeah. I named all the major states that are basically can go either way and you're looking to get to win. And I think that proving in a state like Florida in where, you know, one part of the other, usually one by one point or one or two points either way, that the Santos was able to win by nearly 20 really bodes well for him winning those states I just mentioned. You yeah, know, it you does. Know, better chance than Trump would have of, of winning those states. You know, so I think once again, I, I'm hoping he runs. I will be a hundred percent behind him. 
if he runs. I will wear – I'm in San Francisco, Andrew, and I'll wear DeSantis 2024 t-shirts. <laughs> that wow. – that is how courageous I am. You're laying your life on the line. <laughs> yeah, for no reason. Like no one here is going to vote for Republican <laughs> anyway. It doesn't really matter. Correct. You know, a 90, 99-year-old Joe Biden drooling, they'd, they'd vote for him over on DeSantis. We know that. You know, yeah. so uh, so it's a waste of time. Speaking before we end the show, okay, I'm going to ask you one question now. Sure, sure. If Biden, if Biden says I'm not running, who runs? Well, I think a few people are going to run. I think it's going to look more like uh, how the GOP looked, or how I guess 2020 for the Democrats was equally as ridiculous, right? They had like 20 candidates. I think it could look like that again. Um, it's just going to break wide open. Do you think Newsom would be the front runner? Uh, probably Newsom, maybe, maybe Newsom, just because of, like you said, he's a governor and he's got the name, he's got the money. Uh, I can't think of this. The problem with the Democrats is, uh, any national profile people they have are, uh, generally in the Senate or in the Congress and in their like eighties or, you know, approaching, I mean, Dianne Feinstein doesn't know where she is. There's, there's people that just are fossils. And then there's on the other end, you have people like Pete Buttigieg and uh, Gavin Newsom. And there's not really a lot of in-between. There's people that they're trying to force into the scene, like Stacey Abrams that didn't work. Oh, I, I mean, there's there's just not a lot of good options for the Democrats, so I could see it being uh, broken wide open. But what I do think is that the, the GOP is close to getting a lock, like you said, on a lot of these swing states. And you can see it in the even with Trump, I mean, he was winning a higher percentage of Latinos, right? Yes. And this is the thing that Democrats couldn't comprehend. Right. And so there's this shift coming. And, you know, you look at American history and we're we're a two-party system, essentially, Mm -hmm. right? And so third parties don't ever really take power. But what does happen is that one or two of the parties die, right? These, These parties do die off because, you know, whatever reasons, and they form new parties and i'm kind of hoping that will happen to the democratic party i, I do yeah see and, that and, and you know the reason why we look at like the, texas remember the democrats were, were saying for how long were they saying that texas was going to go blue texas was going to go blue because of latinos well it's the opposite it's gotten even a little bit more red i mean the republicans have gotten a lock on there now because a lot of latinos especially down by the border are voting for republicans now not democrats anymore and that was also a case in florida now the two places where Republicans, Democrats have done better, Georgia and Arizona, are simply a case of people moving, liberals moving from blue cities to Phoenix and Atlanta. And Phoenix is growing and growing and growing, and Atlanta is growing and growing and growing from people moving from the north, northern liberals moving down there for better life, better weather. And that's why, that's, that's a simple reason why those states are now becoming more democratic. You know, because those major metropolitan areas are growing and becoming more, those areas are becoming more and more liberal. So that's 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 the reason for that. But those can easily, those two states can easily swing back the other way. Yeah, they can easily yeah. swing. Look, Georgia. Look, I mean, Kemp d- defeat Abrams easily by like eight points. It wasn't even close. You yeah. know, so Georgia is probably a tougher nut to crack than than Arizona for for Democrats at this point. But um, because once you get outside Atlanta, it's very 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 deep red. Um, while in Arizona, as I lived in northern Arizona, my ran for Congress was at a Flagstaff, which is very blue also. So there's a lot of blue areas in Arizona that people don't realize, um, especially in the mountains and, and, and down in Tucson. But, but the fact of the matter is, in those states we talked about, in the upper Midwest, and of course Florida now, 
is done, right? Florida is taken out of the equation. That, that used to be a real. That used to be a real. The trifecta of Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Florida. That would. That was the. Remember those three states. If you won two of them, you always won the election, right? That's the way it worked for a very long period of time. If you win two of those three, you, you're in. And now Democrats have totally lost Ohio and Florida. They're both gone. They're gone. And all they got left is is, is purple Pennsylvania, which you know is not deep blue by any means. You know, so the Democrats are in trouble. They are. They won't say it, but they are. They are yeah, in well, trouble. They, they can they keep are. not saying it until they don't exist as a party, as far as I'm concerned. They can well, uh, you know, whistle into the graveyard. Do you think Bernie Sanders is going to run again? <laughs> uh, I hope not. I sure hope not. I swear to God, if he does, nothing makes me more upset. And you know what? I support. I was in college in 2016, 2015, and I yeah. was like the VP of the Bernie for President organization. And uh sure. Sure. He's completely betrayed everyone he's ever, you know, he never was serious about a revolution. He's complete, yeah. uh, as they say, cuck. He's a good yeah. boy. And, uh, you know, if he did run, nothing would make me more infuriated than coming uh, across a Bernie Sanders supporter trying to yeah. get this guy into office. So, no, he's not going to run. That's the answer. I don't think he's going to run. And if he does, it's not going to be serious. They'll never let him win. Um, and <laughs> I mean, it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen for him. No, he's... I mean, also, also the age thing, he'd be the oldest of all. Of them, exactly. You know? So yeah. I just, I don't... look, not that he's not much more cognizant than Joe Biden. There's no, there's no, there's no, you know, he's older than Biden. And of course, you know, mentally he's like 30 years younger than Biden. I mean, he's sure. still got, Bernie's still got it. He doesn't have any problems. He doesn't go to shake hands, don't exist. He doesn't talk to him. He doesn't, he doesn't ask people who are dead. You know, he doesn't do things like that. So yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a totally different story. But I think age wise, I just don't think people – I think people are over it. No, it's too frail. It's too old. And, you know, people want new leadership. They want new faces, I think, especially people that uh, looked up to Sanders in a way. So Yeah, uh, and what, just like Trump, Bernie's got his core that will never leave him. I know them. Yeah, unfortunately. I know many of them. You know, but but still, it's it's a situation of you know I think enough is enough there. But anyway, it was a good it was a good talk. Well, and, yeah, thanks for the conversation. And this is only the beginning. It hasn't even started yet, right? Yeah, well, started. we're gonna see some stuff. That's for we sure. started it. We started it. Okay, Andrew, thanks. Thanks, Mike. Have a good one. <laughs> All right. All right. That was a good show. What's a good show? All right. I never know how these shows are gonna go. I really thought this one would be like seventy minutes. It went over two hours, um, but that's fine. Uh, is there anything else I wanted to add? No, I guess that's it. We have three more shows this week. I'm here all week. I'm here all week. Um, I'm going to do the joke again because I like it. Try to feel. Um, but I'll be here Friday also. Where's that? New Year's Eve. Eve. Um, so the rest of the week, the show airs Monday night through Friday night, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern. Uh, the show is called And Let's Be Heard. I'm Micah Chopley reminding you that your influence counts. Use it. <laughs>